Planet Worker, a world in development. Kampala, 2013. I've long been fascinated by the individual stories emerging from disasters, as they reflect the humanness of experience and are often interesting and surprising as a result. Lives are suddenly and irrevocably disrupted, dreams are dashed and somehow recreated, and our understanding and appreciation of life is sharpened. I'm back in one of the most African of cities, Kampala. Bustling with life, the city is a visual and pungent cacophony of the senses, impossible to ignore. It has a diverse ethnic population drawn from all parts of the country and also from neighbouring countries such as Democratic Republic of the Congo, Rwanda, South Sudan, Eritrea, Somalia and even from countries as far away as India and China. Despite this diversity, cross-cultural intimate relations in Kampala and even Uganda as a whole are still quite unusual. Although many of Kampala's residents live and work in close contact, they still define themselves by their ethnic origins. I wonder if this is a throwback to the colonial legacy or even to the brutal ethnicity of the Abote and Amin regimes. On this trip, however, we're dealing with a different peril. I returned to Uganda to participate in a workshop reviewing lessons following a flash flood in the Kasese district in western Uganda, joining a range of NGO colleagues, local officials and local teachers. As usual, we engage in the performative rituals of introductions along carefully respected protocols. As proceedings get underway, we hear about the speed and destruction of these floods. The story is short and simple. In May, heavy rains upcountry caused the Nyamwamba River to burst, resulting in extensive flash flooding in Kasese. A number of unfortunate victims lost their lives, as over 25,000 people were affected, with the power of the floods causing widespread destruction of houses, crops and infrastructure such as bridges, roads and power lines. Amid the formality of the workshop process, the local primary school principal catches my eye. He's a typically effusive Ugandan man, clearly bursting to share his story and is intent on making an impression. When his turn comes, he elaborately distributes copies of a carefully typed written account of his experience. With a flourish, he stands to tell us his story. The principal school stands on the river's edge and was fortunately closed for a public holiday on the day of the flooding. Although deserted of students, the principal noted for us that a teacher's work does not end even in holidays, and that he was working on that day. Endearingly, he provides us with a list of chores he had busied himself with on that morning, including the marking of student papers. While doing so at his desk, he had noticed a new smell from the river and a change in the sound of the water rush. Similarly, the normal sounds of the morning and of village life seem different. It is in these subtle auditory signals that survivors of disasters often recall later. Busy as he was, he didn't think much of it and carried on with his work.
The teacher's intensity of concentration was dramatically interrupted by a young student who burst in and told him he needed to leave urgently as the river was coming. Stories like this are becoming more commonplace in Uganda as climate change heightens the unpredictability of weather patterns. Historically, Uganda has been characterized by stable rainfall patterns. However, the global effects of climate change that have resulted in the frequency and magnitude of disasters and weather-related hazards have not spared the country. And a region that has been experiencing shorter or longer rains and even drought. In the previous year, hundreds of thousands of internal displacements resulted from weather-related events, including floods, storms and cyclones. With the expected impacts of climate change and without ambitious climate action, the numbers will likely increase in the coming years. Permanent relocation is also becoming a challenge. In 2010, Uganda had to relocate and resettle more than 3,000 people from the Mount Elgon subregion, Baduda district in eastern Uganda, and Kiriandongo district in western Uganda, since their villages were devastated by landslides in March 2010. While these responses and technological early warning systems are needed, it is often the two human-centered elements that matter most, alertness and responsiveness. Told in hindsight, the student's intervention clearly saved the principal's life as his office was washed away a few moments later. Even as he described his escape, the teacher noted the different sounds, smells and temperature sensations of his experience. I reflected how many times this is true and how our senses, heightened by danger, are often an integral part of our memory and response in an emergency. Sometimes our lack of appropriate response to changes in our environment and our sensory attention can be fatal. In the 2004 tsunami, many people on the beach were curious as to the receding water prior to the incoming wave, and some even followed the water back in. Most times we do not have the warning signs, and when we do, we may misread or ignore them. Often though, the sensory experience is highest during the emergency itself. The rushing sound of water or high wind, the smell of the ocean or smoke, extreme changes in temperature, seeing damage wrought. This experience continues afterwards with smells of debris and death, sounds of anguish amidst silence and scenes of bewilderment. The senses can be overloaded and many cannot cope. For others, it is an extraordinary time. In many ways, an emergency forces us to live in the now, without history or future. And this is a period when our senses become our primary form of survival. The heaviness of the discussion is lightened by the sensations of tea and snacks, and our minds and bodies relocate to the foyer in relief. It is the presence, we are alive, and among our small community. I look around the room at those who are affected by this disaster through their own humble positivity, demonstrating the resilience of the human condition. It is a cornerstone of our humanity and 
of humanitarianism. Later I returned to my room, reflecting and in a strange way relieved. I feel my own sensory experiences of conflict, emergencies and dramatic events are somehow validated. I also feel my seemingly constant need to review my own responses to and sensory memories of events recede. Suddenly feeling lonely, I rejoin my colleagues in the garden and bask in the living in the moment.